And all right, well, welcome everyone. Tom Miller here uh, from Leaders Building Leaders, and and with me is um, oops is my uh, partner Katie Reidenauer, and we've got our great uh, partners from um, the association with us, and also Katie Northstar is uh, joining us uh, today as as well. So we've got over 30 of you on there. And, and so the purpose of this call, why we brought this call together, is to work to inform, connect, guide, and unite North Carolina's school leaders. And so, so what we wanna make sure is we answer your questions to the best of our ability and guide you to the right resources, but it's an open discussion. Uh, so the hard part is when you put you know, 30 people on a web chat, everybody wants to communicate. And, and so, so if you want to, it's fine, you could put something in a chat, hey, can I be next? Um, or if there's a, a pause or an opportunity, you know, go ahead and unmute yourself. Because uh, we he wanna hear your voice, I don't wanna hear my voice, I wanna hear you know, the real experts who are having to deal with this um, on a daily basis. Now I am a parent of two, uh, so I've been learning all sorts of uh, digital uh, products like Seesaw and how to use Google Classroom and all those uh, fun things. So I am in there with the parents um, every day and I'm writing down notes like what would a parent need to know so I can communicate it back to the teachers and say hey here's some things you need to be looking for so keep that in mind if you do have any children about you know what are the step by steps because I think there's going to be some great new learning for uh, teachers in general about how to build better task analysis how to better communicate because uh, you've got to break down learning in three to five minute chunks here uh, for sure so um, I just want to share something one of my mentors said to me today. He said, look, just remember, no uh, teacher has asked for this, right? No school leader has asked for this. So we have to make sure that we are always walking into these, you know, situations with empathy and seeking to understand about, you know, where we are. Everybody's at a different level um, in your school, in the community. Uh, so just keep on thinking about what will success look like 30 days from now or 10 days from now. I mean, whatever you know, framework you wanna build around, it's okay. What will success look like? And how am I working each day to get our organization there or our team there or my classroom there? And it seems to be, <laughs> from what we just heard on that call, you have an incredible amount of autonomy is what I'm hearing. <laughs> um, you know, pretty much it is a local decision and you're looking for you know, direction, we get that. Uh, but you're pretty much creating the box uh, for 99% um, uh, of that uh, direction. So really take this opportunity, you know, crises will reveal themselves, right? It'll really help leaders reveal themselves and, 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 and you're going to have some surprise, you know, staff members that really take it to the next level and you're going to have ones that maybe uh, disappoint. Either way, remember, nobody asked for this. So really focus on learning what's most essential of my time for my organization to better support my teachers, my learning community, um, your overall community, right? So I'm going to open it up to uh, Katie and then, you know, Rhonda and uh, Lisa. And, um, you know, here's some of the key topics that were shared on the earlier call. And then maybe there's some new ones in the chat box that I want to make sure we get to. But Katie, just, you know, go ahead and give, say, say, say hello to the community, Katie. Hi, everybody. So glad to be here with you today. 
And, uh, you know, Tom and I are here to, to help you get answers. So we, we don't pretend to have all of them, but we feel like we have great connections and lots of them are on this call. We have Rhonda and Lisa, we have Sarah from Acadia. You know, so please feel free to reach out or call us at any time. You know, we are, we are here to serve. Awesome. Rhonda, Lisa, you guys able to chat? Yeah, you're ready for me to start what yeah, I, my remarks? Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, hey, everybody. This is Rhonda Dillingham, Executive Director of the North Carolina Association for Public Charter Schools. And I just wanted to give you some updates from the state level, the federal level, State Board of Education, and other information. Governor Cooper and members of the Coronavirus Task Force held another press briefing yesterday. At this point, no new executive orders have been issued regarding statewide closures of non-essential businesses or a shelter in place. Uh, while no statewide orders have been issued, a number of counties and cities have issued stay-at-home orders. Those include, as of yesterday, Mecklenburg County, Durham, Pitt County, Madison County, Winston-Salem, and Clemens. Uh, the House Speaker, Tim Moore, convened a select committee on COVID-19 and they met remotely yesterday morning. The Economic Support Working Group heard presentations on the federal response to the crisis, state fiscal implications, small business loans, and unemployment insurance issues. The speaker began the meeting with an overview of the state's emergency funds and savings, <clears throat> uh, including $3.9 billion in unemployment insurance, $1.1 billion of savings reserved for rainy days and disasters, uh, and $2.2 billion in cash on hand for unappropriated funds. The goal of the working groups is to define the needs of the state and outline legislation so that bills can be crafted and passed quickly when the legislature returns. And currently that is not supposed to be until April 28th. Uh, the working group on education meet, is meeting right now actually, and we have our government relations team listening to that meeting and we'll get a report from them and I'll definitely pass that on. In anticipation of the education subcommittees meeting today, I sent them a letter outlining um, three major concerns from the field. And I did hear back from a few of those legislators thanking me for that information. And I'm sure it will be addressed <clears throat> um, on their end. On the federal front, um, yesterday the Senate passed the CARE Act, that's the Coronavirus Aid Relief Economic Security Act. It's the third relief package and it includes a um, $30.75 billion education stabilization fund, including $3 billion in flexible funding to governors for K-12 and higher education and $13.5 billion to state education agencies for grants to LEAs. Uh, the bill is currently slated to be voted out of the House on Friday. Uh, pertaining to charter schools, the bill language ensures that charter schools will receive their appropriate share of funding. Uh, 
which can be used for a wide range of K-12 purposes, including purchasing educational technology to support online learning and making up for lost time. Uh, there's a briefing tomorrow on that, bit, that act, and I will be joining that to learn more about it. Hey, Rhonda, News I'm sorry. Yes. Can you, because uh, you're really giving out some really good information. So if you have a question about what Rhonda is specifically sharing, you know, make sure you put that in the chat box. And I want to go back to this, you know, grant you just shared. Is this something that is going to be automatic or something they're going to have to apply for? So I just wanted to make sure that we captured that. Uh, that is what I'll learn tomorrow in that briefing. Okay, great. Uh, <clears throat> right now it's all new and then they usually what happens is they pass an act and then it's up to the states to figure out the mechanism for which they'll allow access but that's been my experience so far um the state board of education is meeting tomorrow to take action on two issues one is the 50 million dollar allotment distribution and guidance on grading i know there have been a lot of questions on that so um, news from the association, um, we are continuing to add resources on the website, so check that out. And I send out daily emails with an update of pertinent information. If you're not getting my emails, let me know in the chat box and I'll be sure to update you to the listserv. And then something new I'm doing, you know, um, we've talked about how adversity sometimes pushes you to do things you wouldn't have done before. Well, I've been hearing all these great stories from school leaders about how they have really pivoted to uh, address the needs of that the crisis has presented. So I decided that I would do recorded interviews with them and share that out so that you all can maybe get some ideas from them and inspiration. So, so far I've interviewed Dr. Charles Fuller and his admin team at Envision Science Academy. I posted that to Facebook yesterday and I linked it in the email that I sent. And today I email, um, interviewed Lori Roy from Cape Fear Center for Inquiry. Um, that's my update. Any questions, let me know. I'll be glad to answer any that I can. Awesome. Yeah, and you know, make sure Rhonda even you know put your link on the side um, in the chat box, and or if there's some folks who want to be interviewed or want to share stuff, there's great things happening all across the state. I had a um, a really great conversation uh, with one of the uh, North Carolina superintendent. Um, uh, uh, she's applying to be it, right? She's running for it, Catherine Truitt. And um, just re there's just a lot of really good things happening across. And, and so, you know, folks need to know about it. It's, it, it really helps, you know, build the faith, right? And, and starve the fear. That's what we're doing, right? Build the faith and starve the fear in terms of these uh, situations and be there. So awesome. Great job, Rhonda. Thank you as always for all the work. I know you're working 24 and a half hours a day, if that's even possible right now. And someone who's working 48 hours a day, go ahead, Lisa, you wanna, you, you ready for your, your update? There were some really good questions about unemployment and hourly and all these other things. So I know you've got some really great stuff for us as always. Yeah, so hopefully um, I have some good information. I did send out, um, so I um, typically put together summaries when there's new laws that will impact charter schools uh, or just a new fact that I learned, because I learn every day. 
Um, and yesterday, Rhonda sent out a, a document that I created, and it is frequently asked questions about the Family First um, Act that was passed last week with respect to um, the expansion of the family and medical, uh, the FMLA expansion and um, the uh, emergency sick leave provisions. I would encourage you, I know it's a long document, but it was based on questions that I received from many different school leaders and also from my, um, I, I'm part of the um, uh, National Charter School Attorney Network through the National Alliance. And so that also went to them yesterday. So they are also using that as a, as a reference guide for charter schools. A couple things I will point out that are in there, and um, I'm sure there are others that will have uh, opinions about this as well. Um, under the new act, the um, family and medical leave has been expanded to allow for one more category of leave, and that is for the care of a child, a minor child, when their school or child care is closed. That provision applies to every employer that has under 500 employees. So even if you are a charter school that never had to comply with the Family and Medical Leave Act, you now have to comply with this act. Um, and I can't stress that enough. Um, however, um, and then there's one other part of it, sorry. And the other part of it is, is there is a um, emergency sick leave provision that provides all employees of anybody who has less than 500 employees, two weeks of paid leave. And there are different reasons for the for that, um, including you know if you have the coronavirus, if you have a family member that might have it, if there's quarantine, all of these different things. But those are two provisions you should be aware of. I have fleshed those out in the document that Rhonda sent out yesterday. And if you did not get that document, please reach out to her and get it, or you can reach out to me, and I'm happy to send it. Um, Something to think about with respect to that act, which is the leave that you have to pay for, you get a 100% tax credit for. And um, I'm sure we have someone from Acadia on here that can talk to you maybe a little bit about that. But that allows you to, and you don't have to wait for that tax credit. While we're still getting more and more guidance from the Department of Labor and the IRS, last Friday the IRS put out a joint bulletin also included in that document yesterday that allows you to take offsets now um, and not have to wait for those tax credits. So um, this actually might be more beneficial to a charter school bottom line than originally thought. Um, because if you have an employee, for example, that needs to not work full time because of the care for of a child, you can put them on, they can go on partial FMLA and you will actually get that paid for um, while you are reducing their pay because of the FMLA. And so I'm happy to talk offline about there's numerous scenarios in which um, there might be an actual economic benefit to tapping into the new law um, and using the lead provisions. Um, the other issue that Tom mentioned that folks are asking me about is what do you do with employees for whom you do not have work? If you do not have work for people, after this, the two-week order, um, which, which is March 30th, you need to start making plans for either furloughing them, finding something else for them to do, 
possibly reducing their out, uh, possibly laying them off. Um, because you will not be able to continue paying for people for which there is not um, work. And um, and the, sorry, there was text coming in about what I was saying, so I wanted to make sure I was covering it. Um, so, but the, the bill that passed or that is supposed to be signed into law today, tomorrow maybe, uh, the CARE Act, is providing expanded unemployment benefits. And here is what that looks like in North Carolina. Um, at least in my estimation. We won't know for sure until it gets passed and until it's implemented. But right now, um, if you are losing hours because there's not work, or if you are have no hours because there's not work, you can apply for unemployment. Um, unemployment will start on day one of your unemployment, not usually the typical waiting period. The other part that's in the CARE Act is the federal government is paying a $600 a week supplement for the first four months of unemployment. So what that means is for every employee that has to is unemployed, they get their state benefit. And then on top of their state benefit, they will get a $600 a week benefit from the federal government. I do not know how that's going to be administered and there isn't guidance yet on that. What there is, is that it might be that you get two separate checks depending on how the state sets it up, or you get um, one check. Um, we don't know how that's going to be. I also don't know how that will work with people who were part-time employees and um, versus full-time, or how it will work with people who have reduced hours but are not completely laid off. Those are questions that are gonna have to be answered once this bill gets passed. Um, but I will certainly keep you abreast as soon as I have answers to that. Um, the upside is it means that a lot of people um, are going to have a place to go, even if you can't pay them. Um, um, and, and, and unlike in past times. Wow. Thanks, Lisa. Those are my two updates. Yeah. No, that, and can you make sure that you type in your email address or any way sure. that, you know, folks can get a hold of you in the chat box if they haven't met you yet? And okay, wow. All right, so if you've got, a, if you've got a, um, additional questions, go ahead and put them in the chat box. So we've talked a little bit about uh, you know, unemployment. I wanna move, move to this teacher support and licensure and teacher evaluation. So we've got some really great uh, leaders on board um, who are already navigating through this you know, digital platform for three to five days already. So Deborah Brown is on with us. There might be some other you know, teachers so, or uh, principals so if anybody wants to unmute themselves and talk into it, um, Katie and I have been, you know, researching and, and, you know, talking to other virtual school leaders about how they did it. Uh, so we got a, a great set of information today from uh, Brian Setzer, who used to uh, lead the NCVPS, um, North Carolina Virtual Public Schools. So, you know, Katie, I don't know if there was one thing off of there that, that you really saw, but for me, um, I was, you know, starting to do the math, right? If I have 20 teachers and I want to spend 10 minutes in each of their classrooms uh, per day, right? That's 200 minutes, you know, right there by my, by my math. And, you know, five days, that's a thousand minutes, right? And, and then if I want to, you know, what, you know, kind of feedback do I want to provide them? So it's just very, very important to be thinking through what do I want class to look like, right? What do I want, you know, how will I know that, you know, students are learning? At, at you know whatever level we've decided locally, 
Um, and what types of feedback do my teachers need, you know, specifically, and how can I help them get, uh, you know, the resources? But, you know, Kate, I know there was some, some stuff that you had there uh, specifically, and then we'll go to Deborah if she's open. Well, you know, he mentioned that um, there's no way to, no one way to evaluate. So just like you were touching on, you know, think about what it is your teachers need. And, you know, he recommended peer-to-peer as a, as a way to start. Uh, so consider about how you can leverage your team to do peer-to-peer -peer evaluation, or maybe that's just going to be too much because your teachers are already overworked. Um, but I think mostly he was saying there are lots of resources out there, and he shared quite a few with us um, on how to do this, you know, the quality online, you know, review. Uh, but just to pick one and to to make it work for your school. The call with OCS just indicated that schools are being given a lot of autonomy in, in how they operate. Um, you know, and Tom always says, you know, charter schools are given a mile and they take an inch. Well, let's flip that, right? So let's, you know, let's take the mile that we're given and, and see if we can turn it into two miles. And maybe you'll be able to observe and give feedback better than you've ever been before. But maybe it doesn't have to take as much time like, you know, Tom was calculating. You know, maybe you observe every teacher each week for 15 minutes and you meet for 30 minutes virtually. But figure out a schedule that works for you yep. and, and, and then just get started. Creativity comes once, you know, you, you put in action. Yeah, and uh, remember, you know, the, so the questions were specifically around licensure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here's, you know, here's something that you need to, to remember. Teachers get their license, you know, based upon the work that they do at your school and, you know, whatever your local plan is. So, you know, you sign that uh, paperwork as a principal to renew their license and it goes into licensure. There's, there's not a ton of, you know, communication unless, you know, things have changed in terms of the sharing between the beginning teacher or the, you know, or like the educator effectiveness group compared to a licensure group. It's still all local. You don't send every NISIS evaluation. You don't send all that stuff. So the work that you can do um, is whatever, you know, whatever you guys set it to there. So, so just be conscious of that um, and, and, you know, look at your licensure renewal plan and your BT support plan and just, you know, how could we do this? What would this look like over at least at minimum the next six weeks? So I know we got some really great teachers on here too. So uh, Deborah, you you are willing to share with us? I see you over there. Sure. Well, one thing that we decided to do was to give some blanket CEUs for technology. So we're not asking the staff to track. We know every staff member has just suddenly been thrust into full-time Google Classrooms and Zoom platforms and Flipgrid and lots of new apps, and they're putting it into practice every day. So we are just going to issue to our staff some blank, or not blank, but blanket um, CEUs for technology. Um, and I've already told them that so that they, they understand that we're appreciating that we understand that they are learners in this situation as well. Man, and the second thing that we're trying to that. do is to kind of apply the same philosophy that we're using with student work, which is in an online a platform where you really are just in survival mode. This isn't this isn't really digital teaching. Um, it's not like the kids signed up for this. The teachers don't have the pedagogy for the for the background in it. This is survival mode, right? So our main goal is to stay connected to the kids, keep the kids connected to each other, and keep them connected in some fashion to learning, curiosity, discovery. We don't want to kill that joy in there. So the same thing for our staff. We want to be 
providing feedback that's helpful and useful to them, that's helping them solve problems, that's letting them know what we see that's working and giving them that kind of thing, but not necessarily worried so much about the formal evaluation process, uh, the kinds of things that we might do um, as an end of the year. I mean, we'll see where we go from that, but that's where our current thinking is on the admin team anyway to explore us. Awesome. Yeah, and I just love, you know, from a, a principal's perspective or a coach or whatever you are here, you know, remember mentors are, you know, built to grow people from where they are, right? So the super majority of everybody is, we are learning on the fly with, you know, like with, with no like equipment or resources, you know, some of you. So, so to really think about where they started compared to each week, you know, what would success, a little bit more success look like? They're all not gonna be, you know, flipped, you know, classroom professionals in a week because flipped classroom professionals take decades to really, really master if you wanna do it well. So. Thanks, Deborah. Anybody else, uh, whether it's a teacher or a coach or anybody want to share? I know there's been a couple of comments here in the, the chat too, Katie, so keep me up to date on that one. Will do. Yeah. All right. And then let's see another. So that's so that's one uh, beginning teacher was one. And, and so I want to make sure that we hit that. Uh, another topic was uh, summer camp funding, right? So that's really going to be uh, reliant upon. But I think what I heard them say is that you're not going to lose any funding. You know, everything is just going to be repurposed and reused. Um, so I don't know. I think Acadia is on with us. So if they want to unmute themselves, if they've seen or heard anything different, or if you have any financial advice to be giving during during these times, we would love. I know we had Cass or Sarah, maybe even someone else. So you let me know if you're able to unmute and we would love to hear your side of any financial pieces. No. Yeah, let's make sure we've got them unmuted. I'll send them a chat message, but we'll hold off on that. Um, yeah, we'll see about Acadia. I can, Cass, you're unmuted now. Hey guys, how Great. is everybody? Perfect, all right. So are yeah. you, Sarah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to jump in real quick. Uh, we're actually waiting for um, Robin or Amanda to okay. jump on, speak to the financial piece. Yep. Um, unfortunately, Sarah and I just kind of realm in the power school and student information systems world. So um, don't want to uh, push out any information that we're not 100% on. Yeah, okay. Well, even from a power school perspective, anything that, you know, as the experts that you want to share, I know that was a question, you know, we just learned that today that you don't have to take student attendance and the state's recommending that you don't, you know, have any penalty for anybody with attendance. So, you know, I don't know if they've given guidance. So what do we put in power school at this point? So I don't know, you know, Cass, what are some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, so they actually, as of uh, an hour ago, I'd say, released some information in regards to the calendar in power school. Um, so the way it's looking at is, is in the first uh, school closure that happened on uh, March 16th through March 27th, they're asking that all the uh, LEAs and PSUs indicate the days when they were building their remote learning program for those days to be indicated as teacher work days, so non-in-session days. Um, and then once the remote learning began, then you can take your calendar and power school back to actual in-session days, uh, which would count towards your PMR and your instructional time. Um, and then once we get into the, the newest closure, the March 30th to May 15th, um, assuming everyone has their remote learning in place at that point in time, all of these days would remain as in-session days in your power school calendar. 
Um, if you plan to have a spring break or plan to have any um, other teacher work days, you would go ahead and indicate those as well in the PowerSchool calendar. And again, I'm referencing the March 30th through May 15th closure. Um, and the one caveat that they've added um, that is definitely new is they're asking on the remote learning days, they're asking schools to denote the estimated number of instructional hours intended on those days. Um, they're asking for that to be noted in the note section of the calendar. Um, so that's definitely um, something new um, and something added to any additional um, role that we've ever had to do in PowerSchool. So, so that's something that we're actually pushing out uh, this afternoon to our schools to, to request that time um, and what that will look like going into PowerSchool. Um, and you are exactly right, Tom. We do not have to take attendance during that March 30th to May 15th. They are actually specifically stating student attendance uh, will not be taken during that timeline. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of questions here, Cass, and that was really good stuff. And I think you've 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 uh, you know jogged some um, some cobwebs here. So I want to make sure I get it all and I say it correctly. Uh, there was a question: Do parents have access to quarter three report cards just by logging in? I'm not sure if you would know that in terms of PowerSchool. Yeah. So um, really, what that would depend on is if the school has previously set up the parent portal. Um, so assuming that the school has set up the parent portal, they would be able to access, quote unquote, the report cards. Um, it would really just be what's considered the grades and attendance tab in the parent portal. Um, that shows real time grades from the teacher's grade books and you could technically account that as a report card. Okay. And then there's a question, any guidance on what to do if we have not had spring break yet? Do we take it? That, that's a good question. So I do know that some schools elected to during the time when they um, shut down in the, the first immediate closure, which would have been that March 16th, the one that we're currently still in now, a lot of schools moved their spring break to that first week um, to sort of give them some time to breathe. Um, some schools did not. They, choose, they chose to just go ahead and take some teacher work days that week to get their remote learning set up. But either way, um, from, from the memo that I'm referencing, it, it appears as though it's up to that specific LEA if they want to keep their spring break in place. If it wasn't scheduled until, you know, April, mid-April, and you want to keep that in place, you're absolutely able to do so and need to indicate that in, in your PowerSchool calendar as well. Awesome. And if anybody has that link, I saw Jessica Swanky put a Google Doc up in the chat box. If anybody has that, if they could put it into, the, into our chat box, um, so there's a bunch of people asking for it. I'm sure it came in an email. So um, Joan Roman asked, it, may, it might be back to your earlier uh, statement, Cass, uh, what if those hours vary by grade level? Um, but I can't remember what you said to maybe spark that one. So, Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. Um, it seems that there's a lot of gray area in this last bullet point where they reference the estimated number of instructional, instructional hours. Um, I will say, in the past, DPI has always told charter schools, whatever the, the majority of your students are consistently reporting, that would be your number to report. Um, I know that's the same thing they did with the school start time end time report that we had this fall and again this spring. They asked for, you know, what time does your school start? What time does your school end? And with that, um, some charters obviously had different start times and end times based on grade level. So the consensus from DPI was 
wherever the majority of your students, and when we talk majority, we're talking enrollment majority, majority wherever those are, that would be the number to report in that. Um, so for the time being, that's kind of what we're gonna honor is where the majority of the students are reporting. Obviously there will be more questions going to DPI in reference to that um, as early as today to see if we can get some answers on that. Yeah, and uh, Deborah Brown asked a really good question. She says, what defines instructional hour? Is it direct teacher to student? You know, is there any uh, guidance around that? I don't know if that was in the, in the power school piece, but I know that's been a pretty common question. Yeah, and, and that unfortunately is again, one of those, those gray areas where we're all kind of just waiting to get more clear defined um, description of what exactly that entails. Yeah, and from what I remember, it's been a, some years since I've read this stuff, but um, there were requirements around hours for EOC courses, like overall, but I don't remember there being required hours for, you know, general um, uh, courses, K-8, but I could be wrong. Maybe that's something we need to look up, Katie, but right. I do remember years ago when I was in the Office of Charter Schools having to read that, and there was some, some language around it obviously through read to achieve you know there's a lot of uh, pieces in there so yeah um, and honestly I mean instructional hours uh, I personally could argue that every minute of every day is instructional especially when you're dealing with character ed and social education so all those uh, pieces in my opinion count um, absolutely but, and, and I do want to add that they there's there's two words in, in the bullet uh, that that Kind of let me know that this is kind of up to your LEA and what you determine to be instructional because you're exactly right. You go back to character education, um, you go back to the actual teacher face to face in Zoom, maybe or in Google Classroom, but then also accounting for the, the amount of time you intend that worksheet to take and or that quiz to take could all be deemed instructional. But in this bullet, it says denote the estimated number of instructional hours intended for your public school unit. So the word estimated and the word intended to me um, kind of let me know that we're kind of in that gray area where every LEA can kind of make that determination as, as they see fit for their school and their education. Yeah, and in the document, Kelly Painter shared the actual link. It's in the chat box if you don't have it. Um, there's a couple of questions around, you know, spring break. So I love a couple of these ideas. There's some schools that are only doing a four day work week. Um, or like a four-day student work week. Uh, there's some folks that said our families need a break because this is a hard time for everybody. So you know your population. You know you need to make the best decision based upon your organization first, team second, and you third. Um, so I want to make sure I don't, I didn't miss anything here. Uh, Tom, I was just going to tell you that cool. Amanda from Acadia is now available if anybody Great. has any finance questions. Okay. Well, let's 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 stick with Power School. Then we're gonna go to Amanda next because I want to make sure that we hit all these. But I love it. Thanks. Uh, welcome, Amanda. Sorry, I couldn't find you in the chat box. So I was trying to unmute you. Um, is there anything that anybody sees that I missed here? So the required instructional hours are a thousand per year. We're told to subtract lunch and recess. Yeah. Um, no specified hours of seat time. Okay. Uh, Okay, cool. All right. So if there's anything more on power school and attendance, feel free to go ahead and put it in a box. We'll make sure we come back to Cass. So then, okay. All right. So Amanda, uh, we've got some questions on finance. Um, some were about, you know, uh, uh, 
um, help me out, Katie, was reading Camp Money, right? You know, that was one and just some other pieces um, about how to pay employees. And I think Lisa specifically asked, hopefully you asked that uh, question. If not, Lisa Gordon-Stella can come back in and ask. And I know Lisa wants to share something really important. Um, I, I wanted to ask about whether or not she has information about the tax credits under tax credits, that's right. yeah, the uh, Families First. Um, as far as we understand, the way um, the credit is going to be taken is the amount is going to be deducted before the payroll taxes are paid. So after every payroll run, when you pay your federal taxes, um, whatever expenses you have for salary that you're paying for people on leave, and it also covers health benefits um, during that time, you will just deduct that amount from your payroll tax liability and that's how you get the credit. Um, if for any reason the payroll tax liability amount does not cover fully the expenses that you have, then you will apply to the IRS for um, those funds. All right. And, and then how about some of the other pieces, Amanda, that I don't know if you heard all the messages that were brought up, but it was about summer camp um, and how, you know, you know, how to pay or maybe, you know, you know, just some really good cash flow planning over the next, you know, three to six months that we should be looking at or leaders should from be going through. From the information we've gathered, those funds, like you said earlier, will be repurposed. So instead of just being able to use it specifically for the summer reading camp, you may be able to use it to cover some of the expenses um, that the schools are incurring at this time. Uh, another one that I saw on there is funds allocated specifically for technology or reading devices. Those can also be repurposed um, for the schools buying more Chromebooks and, and equipment for the students to have at home. Right. So it's a little more flexibility in how to use the funds. One thing I do want to stress, because it's a question our clients have been asking, is if it's going to be extra money. And at this point, it's not extra funds that they're receiving. It's the funds that have already been allocated to the school, just repurposed. Mm. That's a big one. And I was actually thinking, Amanda, because I'm a little bit crazy, um, what if you decided as a school to extend your school year and go past June 30th. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, there's usually a rule about at what point you can spend money. So any you know, guidance, I mean, you, you, know, you can spend local money at any point, but if you go past the June 30th mark with your school year, what, what unintended consequences should you be thinking through? So state funds expire at June 30th. So that's you know, funds that come through your PRC 036, which is your biggest pot of money. Um, those have to be spent by June 30th. And we have not seen anything saying that that time has been expended. Um, summer reading camp money will carry forward as usual. You can spend that in, in July, August, up to September 30th. And um, federal money will carry forward. So when looking at how, how to plan around those expenses, as far as we know, we have not been told that they're going to extend the deadline for spending state money, so that state money has to be spent by June 30th. Okay, perfect. And then there was a question that came in. Um, I know there's some flexibility, so just you know, kind of throw it out there. That, you know, these are charter school 
you know, folks, I love it that they're thinking outside the box. Could a school pay to set up a teacher with internet and a data plan so they could work from home? It's, yeah, it's up to the school and the board if they want to cover those expenses for the teacher. Uh, but yes, they can cover those expenses if they like. Yeah. Yeah, and there's just a special code if they spent something extra. And I think there was a code sent out, you know, last week if it's if it's a if it's an expenditure that was not expected, that's a, a separate code. But if a school decides to use money that they already have local, you know, local or state money, they can, you know, purpose that. Correct. Correct. Okay. And uh, from the regulations we got from DPI, so the as far as coding, the regular purpose code, the fourth digit of that code will now be an eight. And those are for any expenses um, specific to the situation. So it's not ordinary expenses, it's any expenses that the schools are incurring above and beyond their normal expenses um, because of, of COVID-19. And again, it does not say that the school will be reimbursed for these expenses. It does not say they will get extra money for these expenses. At this point per DPI, it's uh, solely for data collection. And, and so you got my brain going here and I want, so, you know, Lisa, I want you to, um, you know, uh, chime in here. So my son loves ice hockey. He's a big fan. And so the ice hockey leaders are just, you know, starting to ask, what if we extended the year, you know, past the normal contract time? So uh, for them, it's like October. And they're saying that every player is going to need to renew their contract at some point. So let's think on this from a teacher perspective, you know, charter school contracts, if you have an employee contract, um, it's set for a start and an end date. The state specifically said that teacher, that you know, state employees won't work for more than the 215 days that's in their contract. But however, remember everybody, you're not state employees. So tell me if I'm wrong here, Lisa. So if you were going to work, you know, work a past your time, because I see Lisa made a point here, spring break should already be in your employee in that student handbook. So it's too late to amend employee contracts now. So what, what should they be thinking through, you know, potentially, Lisa? Because uh, we don't abide, unless I'm wrong, we don't abide by that 215-day rule that state employees do. Right. So you need to look at what your employee contracts look like and see what kind of wiggle room you have in terms of some schools um, have language in their contracts that indicate that you know there could be modifications to the calendar um, gives you some wiggle room on how late the calendar goes um, some have like actual start and end dates um, i would i would argue that if you're paying people through um the, the end of the through june 30th uh if you're on a uh, uh either a July 1 to June 30th contract, that would be obviously, you could easily manage that type of contract. If you have contracts that are a little more strict, I would talk with the employees and basically try to work out a, a, an arrangement because um, you need to be able to get through the school year, whatever year that is, and you have a certain amount of budget. And so if, if employees aren't working full time or, they're, or they haven't been working, then you should be capturing what they are working so that if you need to um, 
engage in some negotiations with your employees as we go forward, you can. Now, salaried employees can be treated somewhat differently in, in the sense that you're paying someone, you know, it's not an hourly wage, it's a, it's a weekly wage, right? So there can be some flexibility. I don't know how much flexibility, I would say it's gonna be a problem if you're gonna go past June 30th, because that's sort of the expected fiscal, I mean, that's the fiscal year, that's always been sort of June, July 1st to June 30th, um, in terms of how you pay your people. Um, and you're just gonna to have to engage in some you know, meaningful discussions. But this brings me back to when I was saying earlier about this tax credit. So think with me, if you will, about the fact that this family and medical leave um, expansion allows anybody who um, their child school is closed or their daycare is closed to ask for a family medical leave up to 12 weeks. And it doesn't have to be all at one time. It doesn't have to be every day. That family medical leave, they will get paid two thirds of their regular salary. And you as a school will get a tax write-off for that amount of money that you're paying them. So I think this is a good time to think about how much work people are actually performing and whether or not, and if someone has young children at home or children at home and they can't work a full-time a full -time schedule, using that FMLA to get a tax credit to reduce your outgo to because you may have additional personnel expenses or other expenses. Um, does, I, and, and I know that sort of a convoluted answer, Tom, but there, we don't really have a playbook for this. And so we have to take it case by case and hope that everyone pitches in. Um, I think for your hourly employees, that's a different story because you do have to keep track of their time and you have to pay them for hours worked. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff, right? Remember, you're all CEOs of multi-million dollar enterprises. So <laughs> there's a lot more to this than just um, teaching students. And I love that Carla Fisher, uh, uh, Carla from uh, Coastal, she was also kind of thinking the same thing about contracts and spring break and how we work through this. So. Um, reach out. If you don't have legal expertise, if you don't have someone who's great at HR, you know, please, please reach out to Lisa before you start making decisions. The last thing you want to do is to put your school at risk, right? It's your job is to mitigate as much risk as uh, possible during these times. So there was a couple um, other- Can I say yeah. one last, yeah, one last thing? Go for so, it. Um, this is a good time to think about your contracts that you're giving people for next year. <laughs> Hopefully we never have to do this again, but having some flexible language in the term of the contract, yeah. and, and I'm talking about for your salaried exempt employees, um, so that you, if you ever have to face this again, you have some, some more wiggle room. So just something to think about because you can't change what contracts have already been executed, but you can change the future. Yeah. So there was, and there was a question here, um, and we may have this in the in the Google, um, you know, folder. If you don't have access to it, if you go all the way to the top of the chat, uh, but there's someone asked for template or guidance on the essential employee letters, or what is acceptable if stopped. So if you're currently, and I can't remember if we shared that out or not, you know, Lisa, like a um, like a template or. Um, if you are, you know, making those types of decisions about like, a, you know, essential employees or laying someone off, you know, uh, based upon some opportunities that are out there. Um, 
So I, I'm a little confused about the essential employee question. Um, so, and because that term is really just being used for the state home orders and um, other types of government orders, those orders typically don't affect schools. They're, they're carve outs. If you look at the Charlotte order, if you look at the Durham order, uh, education, educational facilities are still um, functioning. And um, there's no reason that anyone needs a letter at this point to go about their business, to travel to and from a school, to perform their work. Um, nobody is going to stop you <laughs> at this point in time. Um, and, you know, if you, I mean, really, if you have an employee where you just don't have work for them, it, it doesn't really matter whether they're essential or not. If you don't have work for them, it, it's time to let them collect unemployment. Um, but um, I do yeah, so, have... Yeah, maybe that's what they're asking for then, yeah. is, is how do you write that letter tactfully and legally, I guess is what... Well, I, yeah, and I would say um, it's not necessarily about the letter, it's more about the conversation. A letter is simply, you know, a two-line letter that your effective last date of work is X, but your conversation is where you, you know, make that connection with someone and make sure they care and realize that you're really doing this because it's in the best interest of them um, because you don't have any work and it's an, and you hope that you know once this all gets back to normal you know school's going to start up again there's going to be jobs you know that's one of the reasons the governor lifted the requirement for unemployment that you be looking for work because the goal is that people are going to go back to the jobs they had mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm happy to talk offline if someone needs, has a Yeah, question. and that's what I would recommend. Everybody have it checked first. Um, and then, uh, so the essential travel, someone asked about, what about a parents traveling to a school to pick up educational materials or laptops? That, that, that sounds like that would be covered under the ordinance, correct? Those are expressly covered under the, under the orders. Um, schools are expected to not only be providing food, possibly be providing child care for certain classes of employees and providing a, um, a drop off, uh, a, a pickup for school assignments. Um, so all, so no one should, there should be no problem going to and from school and nobody is stopping people for that purpose. The, the message that has gotten been given from the mayors who have put these in place and law enforcement is they're really trying to break up groups of people from gathering. And so that's where their enforcement is going to be. And also to make it clear how important it is that people just follow what we've already been told to follow for the last two weeks. Yeah, that's great. All right, so I want to make sure we hit the most important part. This is education plans and what and what what uh, we're all doing. So Katie, uh, Rhonda, and Lisa and I, we spent time on an exceptional children's uh, webinar that was shared by uh, NAXA um, that had this level of guidance. <laughs> it was, Katie, correct me if I'm wrong, um, don't let uh, perfection get in the way of good. You can serve everybody in any different capacity in your school. Just find a way and document it. Make sure you're tracking any progress on goals and attempts to communicate and in, and in any other access. And I read something this morning about how related services are being impacted. So I'm really curious to see if any schools have started to figure out um, how to do this or how to serve. And then we were wondering, uh, would it benefit school leaders if we created a call like this for EC directors or you know EC teachers 
Um, so if it's a yes, put a yes in the box. If it's a no, put no or don't answer. Uh, but would love to hear from many school leaders about how you're starting to learn or, or you know, maybe something your EC director or your EC team is doing to serve not only students with disabilities, but also I talked to a school leader yesterday about, about like TSS, you know, data collection and all those other aspects. So we'd love to open the floor for anybody who's willing to share. I was going to chime in with one of the key takeaways that um, that they shared in the NAXA presentation was that schools and districts should convene IEP teams before changing students' placements, and they can do this remotely if needed. But to um, no, that that was what that was the one point I wanted to make. But if you're you know for um, testing or anything, you, testing, you have to meet face-to-face. -face. So just to put that off until, you know, until we're out of this quarantine state. But Tom's right, this whole, this whole presentation from NAXA was all about the flexibility that charter schools have and to, to serve your kids, you know, that to do your best, your intention is to serve kids and that this is a time of crisis. And, you know, John Maxwell, well, one of the things he said about crisis was there are two types of people in time of crisis. One will say, how long will this last? And the other one will say, how can I get better? So this is a chance for you all to be number two and say, you know, how can we get better at serving our kids, whether they have an IEP 504 or not? Uh, you know, how, what can we do during this time to get better at that? Yeah, awesome. Mary Jo from the Learning Center shared that they were already using dot-com therapy, their way out there in, in uh, Murphy. And um, she said it seems to work seamlessly during this time and they're working tirelessly with our EC staff. So collaboration between EC you know, staff and teachers is critical. Um, really starting to look and just really, really document um, as much as possible. It seems like the EC call would be great. So I'll share that you know, back out with you all and you guys can sign up and share it with them. Um, and in terms of education plan, um, you know, there's lots of resources inside the, the uh, Google folder, but would love if anybody wants to share a win in terms of their education plan, would love to hear someone out loud or just maybe a question that you still want to pose out there because some of you are still really navigating through what is it that we're going to commit to. I think one of the most exciting things I've seen uh, with one of the charter schools I work well with, um, it's an inner city school in Durham, and, and to see the teachers start to communicate with the, with the students, like the students are just so hungry for something, right? I love, you know, watching their responses like, oh, it's you, and, you know, love you and miss you and can't wait to see you, and I'm so bored not being at school. I mean, so, you know, for me as a co-teacher in a lot of the classrooms, I love reading those comments. So, you know, relationships is going to be the key to get through this on the, you know, on the front end uh, for sure, because you don't want to be repairing on the back end. And uh, one of the key, key aspects of a charter school is you are a, a bass boat. You get to navigate and change and shift on the fly. And large, you know, school districts, whether it's something like Wake County, right, who's serving, you know, well over 100,000 kids, or uh, Columbus County or Bladen County, which 
probably has very little access in internet, right? What are they doing compared to you all? So really, really think through that, that you can shift on the fly and your first idea might not be your best idea, but it's an idea. So you only gain clarity by doing something. <laughs> so try something and use your best uh, teachers to, to best navigate. So um, awesome. Hey, yep, go for it. Hey, this is Kelly from Tiller. And um, one of the things that's worked really well with for us is our, our teachers have um, a weekly email and it's sent on Sunday evenings by 5 p.m. And it sets the tone for the week for the parents, um, reminding them to focus on, you know, getting done what they can get done. We're here for them. It, they've done an excellent job laying out, um, you know, the plans for the week that and prioritizing what those plans are, you know, and it, it's, of course, differentiated by our, for our K through five levels. Um, and then embedded in that, um, most of my teachers have created some office hours, and that has worked incredible this week. Um, a, an hour span in the morning, some of them even an hour span in the afternoon, to be able to um, have that good connection time with um, parents. That's dedicated to parents, empowering parents with some good strategies for at home. And then in addition to that, they've done some conference times with uh, groups of students, small groups of students. Um, in our three through five grades, th um, those teachers have split their homerooms and um, they've done video conferencing as a team of teachers with a, with a small group of students, or they've done some one-on-one -on -one conferencing just for that good support. And it has worked out beautifully. We are so proud. We're gonna keep moving in that direction where um, you know, parents are able to see sort of the goals for the week. Um, our arts team, um, art uh, teacher sends a K through two activity that's interactive, oftentimes connected with um, strong literacy, you know, considering, you know, the maybe some of the students have limited resources at home for art projects. And then our music teacher, she's done the same um, for, and they differentiate K through two, three through five. And uh, it, again, it's those, um, what we've noticed is um, all of the, the lesson plans, um, just a few, they've embedded the opportunity for um, teachers, or excuse me, for parents to make sure that they're sending, you know, examples of their children's work. And that, uh, in my team meetings with all of my teachers this week, that has been one of the, um, those benefits, you know, of being um, in our, out of our comfort zone. Our teachers uh, continuously say, man, I'm learning so much about these children as individuals. And we pride ourselves on building such strong relationships with them in the, in the classroom and building that community. But those teachers are learning an awful lot about them, too. And we're celebrating that success. Yeah, I love that. And, and listen, remember, culture is about ceremonies and rituals, right? And so there's a couple examples on the right, but I saw Kelly on the Facebook page the other day singing happy birthday to some of the students. So I love the fact you guys are <laughs> keeping a tradition like that uh, to make sure that, you know, students have a chance uh, to be recognized. So, um, well, look, it's at the top of the hour, so I'm happy to stay on as long as everybody needs, but I want to make sure um, that, you know, there are some professional development opportunities apparently through the state. I heard them talking about, uh, we've got smaller uh, principal mastermind groups, you know, that are complementary to you all. Uh, Katie and I are going to launch a digital uh, teacher, you know, mastermind where we're going to share some of, you know, how to connect virtually and how to, you know, so uh, so uh, uh, they can share some things. So be looking for those if you guys are interested in getting your teachers more help to help them stretch, you know, further out of their comfort zone. 
um, you know, feel free to reach out. So, um, Katie, I want to let you finish up. So, uh, Rhonda, do you have any last thoughts, Rhonda or uh, Lisa, before uh, Katie takes the end? And if there's any other questions here on the side, go ahead. And if there's something we didn't address, but I tried to pull the 12 key topics that I saw from your questions from before. This is Rhonda. Everybody who sent me their email saying that you wanted me to add you to the listserv, I've done that. So you should be getting my emails from now on. And uh, I can I plan to continue to do those daily email updates. So um, yeah, I'm just really proud of everybody. And I think you're doing a great job. So hang in there. Yeah, thank you, Rhonda, and, and for all the work you're doing, uh, you know, behind the scenes. And, and so as a charter school board member myself, if you've got a board that needs someone to talk to or talk through, I've been, Katie and I have been uh, linking into, you know, board meetings and spending five to 10 minutes with your board, just really trying to help them chart the course and better understand their role during these uncertain times. So you can reach out to us. Uh, Lisa is a great resource for uh, governance as well. So. Lisa, do you have anything to share with us at the end? No, I'm just always inspired when I hear the passion that people um, in their voice when they're speaking about these issues and I really appreciate, as a parent, I really, really appreciate all of you <laughs> and uh, the spirit that you bring and hopefully I can provide a little bit of help when you need it. Um, I will certainly keep you posted on the the law that hopefully gets passed in the next day or so, if there's anything that uh, will impact charters or help them out, um, you can count on it coming from me or from me to Rhonda and Rhonda to everybody else. Cool. There and was that, a legal question. I was just going to say, yeah, just, you, yeah, yeah. Don't let Lisa off the hook. You stay on there. Go ahead, uh, Katie, share. This is this one about FERPA. Right. So yeah, uh, Heather Varankin from Clever Garden said, as our teachers begin engaging in the video chatting type platform, are there any privacy laws that prohibit the teachers from recording these sessions? Our testing coordinator sat in a webinar where they said this could be a violation of FERPA. Yeah, so he here's the thing. <laughs> um, I'm actually trying to get some clarity on what the parameters of the distance learning platforms are. And if people have um, experience with them and have looked at this further, please let me know. I did a little digging this morning because the question has come up. Um, so platforms like Zoom, if you go to their, their website, have a whole discussion of FERPA and guidance on what you should be doing, okay? Um, I confess I did not read through all of it. I did not have the time to do that this morning, um, but they are well aware of the FERPA issues. I don't think it's a platform so much as how you use it. So there are restrictions on what you can do as a, as a FERPA covered entity in that I would be very, I would be cautious about say recording um, the student discussions um, if you're going to use those for anything other than a way that um, it, pri privately for maybe evaluation of your students, but not to send out to other people. If you a teacher is simply recording their their lecture or their lesson that they then want students to access through some password protected portal, that's that's fine. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to being very smart about how you are protecting those conversations and limiting who can access conversations so that um, 
you don't violate FERPA. Um, and it has less to do with what the teacher is saying and more to do about the students and how they're interacting. Um, but there are mechanisms for putting passwords on, on, um, on platforms and on access to certain information. And I would just avail yourselves of all the safety that you can to ensure that information does not get out that shouldn't uh, or, or student, um, student files do not get out. The other thing is, this is a really good time to remind students of their obligations under your technology use policy and remind families as well, because most of your technology use policies will have, um, uh, will address the use of this type of distance learning. Um, you know, we all might want to take another look, and I'm currently revisiting policies that I've created on this, but I do think the ones that exist for most schools are going to cover this. But just remind kids, they shouldn't be recording if you have, if they're holding uh, a live class, they shouldn't be, you know, it, it would be the same sort of thing as if they were in a classroom, they shouldn't be sharing what other kids are doing in class and remind kids that that would be a violation of your code of conduct and, uh, and then to, to mitigate um, your, um, your exposure. I have heard from schools where they've already had to have discipline uh, actions against kids who are misusing the technology that is now being out there, is now out there. So um, just those are things to keep in mind to protect yourself. Um, and if I, as I get more clarity on that, I'm certainly going to send it along. Yeah, it makes me, like I keep on thinking about like the first days of school book, right? Like everything needs to be retaught here. And this is a great opportunity to teach our kids about, you know, the dangers of social media and, and you know, recording and what we put in writing. Like I wish most of our adults would really take, you know, adherence to this opportunity as well. Um, so really great points there, Lisa. And I think, Katie, if I'm wrong, there was some information during the NAXA webinar that there was some guidelines provided by the Department of Education, like relaxing the rules around that, mm -hmm. um, especially with students with disabilities. So I don't know if you remember off the top of your head, but we can dig back and send that back out if not. No, I have it here. Um, uh, what I'll do is I have a whole, there's a slide on it, so I can copy and paste it and send it out. Yeah, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and I think the lesson here, just like everything else, is do the best that you can under the circumstance and be be thoughtful. Um, you know, the other thing, Tom, I'll say, it's not just about kids being stupid on social media. It's also about reminding them that if their peers are going to, if you're going to get the most out of your education, everyone needs to feel like they're in a safe space. And if they are concerned about people recording them or making fun of them or well, it's the same as in a classroom but it just the teacher has less control because the student isn't right before them watching what they're doing um, but we want to ensure that we're doing the best we can to foster safe spaces i mean generally what this document is saying um, from the considerations for special education administrators document is saying that they're releasing schools from the FERPA requirements during this emergency period. It does not relate to all student identifiable records, uh, but it does relate to Zoom calls, you know, meeting digitally is how they're applying this. But I can send the exact um, language out, you know, from this slide. Yeah, that'd be great. 
So I, so I know we want to make sure um, Acadia has a chance to give any, you know, final thoughts on power school or, um, you know, student services and finance services. Cass, Amanda, Sarah, any of you on the line want to be able to, to give us some final words? Yeah, so, um, so this is Cass. Um, just in reference to power school, um, I know that, that what we're working through right now with a lot of our schools is, is report cards. Um, and I know there was a question presented earlier in reference to, to quarter three report cards and how parents can see those. Um, just to kind of give you a general idea of some of the things we have going on uh, through other schools. Some are asking for PDF copies um, to actually be printed. Um, along with mailing labels, um, your power school database can produce mailing labels and they're actually putting those in the mail. Um, some schools are taking more of a, a, a virtual or electronic approach um, and using a, a third party application such as uh, Bright Arrow or School Messenger, uh, one of those that are compatible in North Carolina, which that's very important, um, using that to email those report cards from PowerSchool directly to the parents. Um, Obviously, companies like that know that North Carolina is in the situation it is, and nationwide is in that situation with trying to get parents' report cards. So they've kind of amped up their, their help teams and things like that for schools that are ready and willing to, to jump on board. Um, and also Parent Portal, you know, I mentioned that earlier. Parent Portal does have the ability to turn it off so parents can't see the grades and then turn it back on. Um, so just knowing that you do have control over that page in PowerSchool. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it looks like we're starting to get some answers in reference to uh, the calendar, so that's good news. Um, but obviously sometimes with, with questions answered, there also comes more questions. Uh, what is instructional time? What is an instructional hour on a remote day? Um, and so hopefully we'll get some more clarity on that as well. Thank you so much. Tom, anything from the fine? Oh, go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. Uh, I just kind of wanted to add in, uh, Amanda's going to share a few things for finance, but just from a, a general protocol so people know that are on the call, anybody that thinks that we might be able to ask or answer a question for them in this time, we're happy to take their call, take their email, get answers out to them. We don't want people to feel like it's limited to people who happen to be Acadia North Star clients. Uh, it's hard times for everybody right now, and there's a lot of stuff to navigate through. So anybody who has a question, I mean, we have a a specific audit department, EC department, anybody that just needs some information and thinks we may be able to help them, feel free to give them our email address. You can give them mine and I'll make sure it gets to where it needs to go. But we're happy to take questions from anybody through this just to kind of help out where we can. Perfect. Thanks so much, Sarah. That's, that's really helpful. We all need resources, uh, you know, when we, when we need them. We need them right now. So Amanda, what you got for us? Um, a reminder to everyone um, just make sure you're, you're keeping good track of all the expenses and payroll items at this point um, make sure you're clearly identifying which expenses are related to COVID-19 if you are deciding to pay employees um, under the FMLA Act make sure that you identify those employees as well so that you're getting your tax credits and everything that applies and um, as as far as federal, we had discussed in an earlier call, uh, keeping proper records is going to be very important at this time since um, employees are out of school and we're on the online platform. So time and effort um, and all of those documentation needs to be um, maintained at this time okay. as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
so I had two more things before we end the call, but, uh, but I'm so grateful you all are here and that, you know, that we can offer this platform for you all. So one thing is I sent out a, an, an emergency email yesterday. I hope you received it, but donors choose, uh, is, is getting some great help from Bill and Melinda Gates. So if your school it has a high number of students who receive free reduced price lunch and you have a project in donors choose it's going to get funded uh, they have almost 1.7 million dollars in the fund right now so double it i'm not great at math but that seems like three and a half million dollars right is my math right i mean <laughs> something like that but uh, so it's going to be a lot of money that that you could be a part of so if your teachers don't have projects in donors choose you know encourage them to do it today because today is the last day that this funding will be applied they just announced it yesterday so this they're expecting a quick turnaround but you know it's not a bad idea to just keep projects in there because if the gate the you know bill and melinda gates are going to do it you might get other people to do it you know stephen colbert funded the whole state of south carolina a few years ago so it's just a good idea to put some you know put some projects out there and you know tom made the message don't make it hard for philanthropists to give you money so make sure you are so the last thing um, i wanted to share is uh, uh, some insight from john maxwell he held a summit this week and he just has some ideas on what during a crisis there are things that you need to be intentional with your time and so he gives us six things that we need to be intentional with our time uh, number one is our personal time you know and i know it's hard because we have a lot of people encroaching on our schedule and we might not feel like we can control it but you have to carve out that personal time too. family time you know my son my oldest son said mom you're working too much i'm not even seeing you and for a 21 year old to say that i'm like okay yeah i need to i need to make sure and be intentional with my family time uh, your catch-up time you know catching up with those daily things that you need to take care of whether it's laundry taking the dogs for a walk uh, number four your add value time where are you adding value you know tom and i have really tried to be some uh, be a resource and add value to you and that's our commitment uh, always but especially now so you know where else can you add value um, if you're a person of faith you're a person of faith muscle you know rely on that faith that you have um, and be intentional about it and the last one is to engage and think time give yourself scheduled think time every day and john maxwell recommends three questions to ask yourself during that daily think time number one how will this crisis make me better number two how will i use this crisis to help other people number three what action will i take that will improve my situation so how will this crisis make me better how will I use this crisis to help other people? And what action will I take that will improve my situation? Give yourself that think time and it's gonna pay dividends throughout the day. So thank you so much, everybody. Uh, we'll send out those resources from the NAXA, uh, the NAXA slideshow that we have and, and Rhonda has added those folks who wanted to be added to her email list. So thanks again and you know, Keep the information flowing. If there's anything you need from us, we're here for you. Have a great day, everybody.